How do you follow that right there, you know? <laughs> uh, let's give it up for our, our actors here tonight. That was amazing. Um, especially my mother-in-law there coming up and down the stairs. That takes quite a commitment. So good job, mom, for that. And I just want to say welcome, Whole Life Church Retreat. How's everybody feeling tonight? Um, it is such an honor to be here. I've been here a few times over the years um, when I was dating Brittany and uh, trying to convince her that I was the man, right? Um, uh, so I've been here a few times in the past. It's been a while. I think the last time we came was when my nine-year-old was four weeks old, was the last time that we came. Um, so it's so good to be here in such a great community. And I just have to say um, thank you to my father-in-law for the introduction. I thought it was interesting how he, he mentions like two things about me and then he immediately moves to grandkids, right? <laughs> like that's how it is. Like I'm not salty about it. Like I, you know, I've just, I just feel like it's something that needs to be verbalized. Like I know my place that I'm just, you know, I'm kind of the catalyst for the grandkids. It's all about the grandkids, okay? so. So yes, it's so good to be here, and I'm glad that my grandkids get to hang out with, I mean, my kids get to hang out with their grandparents. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not there yet, maybe here in 30 years or something. Um, but before we begin tonight, let's, uh, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this setting. We thank you for the fresh air, for the horns in the background. <laughs> We thank you for uh, the sounds that we hear. Uh, Lord, this is a retreat, and uh, that means it, it, it's meant to be a time of restoration. It's meant to be a time of rest, relaxation. It's meant to be a time to get away and reconnect with you. And Lord, I pray that this weekend, everyone here, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so tonight, I want to start off by baggage in my life. Um, really, you know, preaching is sort of a cathartic experience sometimes. I don't know if you can relate with that, Pastor Ken, but, but sometimes you're working your own stuff out while, while you're up here. So I'm going to talk about a little bit of baggage tonight. Um, you know, I work at a high school, and this is baggage that I'm reminded of every single year at the beginning of the school year, right? So, so what happens at the beginning of every school year is tryouts right? Tryouts. You know, you got tryouts for gymnastics. We got any gymnasts here? Okay, we got some up here. We got tryouts for, for soccer. We got any soccer players in the house tonight? Okay, couple. We got tryouts for uh, volleyball. Do we have volleyball players here? And then we got tryouts for, for basketball. We got any ballers in the house tonight? Okay, some of you raise your hand, so that, that, that's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, and it's so interesting. Every year I see it, man. These kids come in to high school and they want it so bad, right? I mean, they, it's like their whole life has led up to this one moment, right? The basketball tryouts. And, and they get in and they go for it. And I mean, you just put your heart and your soul into the tryouts. And, and every year, 
there's always some broken hearts and it just hurts so deep. And I have kids in my office with a range of emotions. It'll be some of them, they're, you know, they're, they're bummed, but they understand. Some of them, they're just crying and they're sad. And other ones, maybe they're mad and they're like, I don't know why I didn't make it. I'm better than everyone else on the team. The coach just doesn't like me. And I'm like, yeah, it's actually because you stink, bro. But, <laughs> but you know, like, I'm sorry. You know, I, I don't say that, but I, I might think it. Um, but, but maybe, you know, maybe you can't relate because you're better than me and you're better than everyone else and you actually made the team when you were in high school. So tonight, uh, I want to talk about this baggage. It takes me back to my freshman year at GCA. And I mean, I'm not trying to brag to Whole Life Church tonight, but back in high school, I was, I was sort of a baller, right? I loved basketball. Like I played all the time. I, I, I practiced my eighth grade year. I was practicing a lot. I mean, I, I would play with my brother, Joe. He was bigger than me and, and I hadn't beat him yet, but I had come close to scoring a couple of times and like I was trying hard and I wanted it bad. And so I came to GCA where, where I went to high school. I came to GCA and they announced the tryouts. And this was my moment, my one shot my one opportunity to seize everything I ever wanted, right? And so I grabbed my headband, I grabbed my armbands, I put on my J's. I wish I could say that they were Jordans, but they weren't, they were Asics running shoes, um, but those are good too. Um, and so I went out there and you know, I'm running all the drills, right? You're doing layup lines, you're doing passing drills, you're doing the suicides, you're, you know, you're doing, uh, you know, shooting drills, and then it comes to the scrimmage, and I was feeling good about some Josh Woods, and I was having a great time, and I'm looking over at the coaches, and I was pretty sure they had already put me on the team. But you see, here was the problem. My freshman year, I was four foot eleven. <clears throat> I don't know why any of you are laughing. That's really inappropriate for you to laugh about something that I was so self-conscious about. <laughs> but I was four foot 11. In fact, I dug up, I, I dug up a, a picture of my freshman year. Here's my freshman year picture. Look at that little boy, man. I was like, yeah, exactly. Everybody loved me, right? There, what's not to love about this guy? I got my shirt all buttoned up to the top. My granddad had told me, you know, you need to button your shirt all the way up. That's how you look like a gentleman. And so I went to GCA and everybody was like, does this kid even belong here? Like, I'm not joking. Uh, one of my teachers later told me that uh, during the first few weeks of school, some students came up to her and they said, Mrs. Stotts, is this kid a child prodigy? Like, we have a nine-year-old in high school. Like, what, what is going on, right? And so, and so I, <clears throat> I remember, uh, I, that didn't bother me. You can take, you, we can take this down now. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Baggage, talking about baggage. But I did not let that bother me when I was trying out for the basketball team. Because I was pretty sure I was the next uh, Muggsy Bogues or Spud Webb. You know, these guys are like every short person's hope to make it into the NBA. But like I said, let's be honest, I was never going to make it on this team. I remember the day that they posted the, the list on the, front of the, on the front of the gym. And, and everybody knew what time it was going to be. And Coach Fox, who was our, our coach at the time, he, he put the list on the door. And I promise you, he just put it on. He taped it up. He locked the doors. And then he would hide 
for the rest of the day because he did not want to have people like me coming up and like, hey, man, why didn't I make it on the team? And for him to have to say, you need to grow a whole foot before I even consider putting you on the team. Right. And so so he posted. I run up there and I look. And I look again. And my name was not on that list. And it hurts. Right. I walk up hoping that I had done good enough, hoping that I was good enough, wondering in my own mind, did I do good enough to make the team? You know, I think a lot of us ask a similar question. We ask similar questions in our lives all the time. We're, we're constantly evaluating ourselves. We're constantly saying, if I'd done good enough, I don't know, to, to pass the test. Did I, did I do good enough or am I funny enough or am I, you know, am I good looking enough or pretty enough to get him or her to, to notice me? Am I making a good enough impression with the right people so that I can advance in my life, so that I can advance in my career? Have I done good enough, right? Am I doing a good enough job to, to get the deal done or to get that promotion? At some point in our lives, we all ask questions similar to this. And we ask these questions also when it comes to our spiritual life. It's deeper, right? It's deeper than did I, get, did I do good enough to, to make bank or did I, did I do good enough to get, you know, to, to get, that, get that promotion or to, to get that scholarship? It's so much deeper than that. It's a question that maybe it sounds like this. Am I good with God? Like, am, am I doing good enough with my Heavenly Father? Am I, am I, doing good, am I good enough to, to make it to heaven? I mean, life's been tough and things have been going wrong. Am I, am I doing what it takes to find myself in favor with the God of the universe? Am I good enough? Have I been good enough? It's an interesting question. You know, it's a question that when we think about it, sometimes the answers that come to our brain, it's like, well, I think so. I hope so. Like, I've been trying to be good, you know, but, you know, sometimes things are tough. It's a question that comes with assumptions. And those assumptions are that good people make it, right? That good people are going to go to heaven. It's, a, it's an idea that I kind of want to talk about tonight because... It sounds like it makes sense, right? It kind of works that, that God is good and the Bible is good and Jesus is good and, and, and every, you know, all, this, all these things are good. So if I'm good, I just kind of fit right into the system. Everything seems to kind of work itself out. But when you start to think about it, it kind of, you know, I'm not really sure if it, it really makes sense. Because how good is good enough? If you're 85% if you're good, are, are you all right? If you're 50% good, I mean, does God round up? Like, I hope so, right? Like, does he grade on the curve? But then what about the people like Pastor Ken who just ruined the curve, right? He's just so much better than all of us. You know, I hope he grades on the curve because, because then it's like, well, I'm not that great, but I'm a lot better than a lot of people in the world. So, so how good is good enough? It's a standard that's... It's not very clear. And when you think about what the Bible says, it doesn't make me feel much better. Romans 3, verse 23, you know these verses, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. 
No one is good, he says later. Not even one. Okay, so wait a second. If good people go to heaven, right, and there's no one good, and all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and, and then in Romans 6, he says, for the wages of sin is death, so there's no one good, not even one, all sin, you're going to die, so let's have prayer, and, and let's just let's be done tonight. You see, I, I don't know where, where we're at. I don't know where you're at maybe tonight on this weekend as you show up to this retreat. I'm not sure where you're at in your walk with God. You may be sitting there. You may be thinking, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea the sins. You have no idea the struggles that, I'm, that, that I've, I've had in my life and that I've been struggling with for years and years. You don't know how long it's been since I've prayed. You, you know, I'm just here because my family wants me to be here. I'm here to keep peace in the family because my wife wants me here. My, my husband wants me here. My family wants me here. My in-laws want me here, right? <laughs> you might be thinking right now. But it's been so long since I've prayed or even cared. And, it, you know, there's no way that I'm good enough. And maybe it's that position that you're in that's caused you to just keep God at, at an arm's length, that you've been stiff arming God and just keeping him away because there's no way you'll ever meet that standard, whatever that standard is. And if that's where you're at tonight, or maybe if that's what you struggled with before, I'd like for you to just listen to the heart of Jesus this weekend. Because Jesus is talking to you and he's talking to me and he's saying, hey, listen, there's good news that there is hope for you. So being good is not really what I'm looking for anyway. And if it were, you would fall short. So, so Jesus, in Luke chapter 23, verse 32, Jesus has, has, has been betrayed by Judas. He, uh, he's, he's been arrested. He's been given an unfair trial. And he's about to die the worst death possible. And so here's what it says in, in chapter 23, verse 32. It says, Two other men, both criminals, <clears throat> were also led out to, with him to be executed. Jesus was going to die on a cross between two criminals. It's interesting because I grew up hearing this, this story, and the story was always called the thief on the cross, right? But I think we need to understand a little context here. They did not crucify thieves, like thieves were not, they didn't, you know, if you stole something at, if you stole something at Bucky's, right, you didn't, you weren't crucified for that. Like Rome loved to capture thieves. They needed thieves. They enslaved thieves and they put them to work. But criminals who hung on the cross, they could not be trusted as slaves. So these guys weren't just petty thieves hanging on the cross around Jesus. They were hardened criminals. Verse 33, it says, When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one to his right and the other to his left. And they nailed nails through the hands of Jesus and through the, through the feet of Jesus. Such excruciating pain, and he's separated from his Father. And as they're doing this, verse 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus continues to show us what his kingdom is all about. Verse 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. 
Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself, right? There was written, verse 38, there was written, there's a written notice above him which read, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. And then Jesus has an encounter. He has a moment that gives me hope and it should give you hope. He has a moment where he illustrates what he and his kingdom is all about. And he shows us that we don't have to sit around and wonder whether or not we're good enough, right? That this stuff falls into place and we just surrender our lives and establish a relationship with Jesus. Verse 39, it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, right? This guy has no remorse for the things that he's done. He's trying to, to angle away and, and get out of this. Come on, dude. I know that you're like the magician magic guy. Just get us out of here. But the other criminal, verse 40, the other criminal speaks around Jesus and he rebuked him. He says, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. We're getting what our deeds deserve. The criminal says, hey, my deeds are so bad that I deserve the death that I'm dying right now. But this man has done nothing wrong. And so as he is talking, he, he's, he's speaking around Jesus. And then he looks to Jesus. And he has a conversation with Jesus. And here's what he says, and we'll be done. He says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered. He says, your life. He looks at the criminal. He says, your life, all your life of crime, all the bad deeds that you've done, he speaks to us and he says all the times that you criticize people behind their backs or you blast people on social media, all the times that you've mistreated your co-workers or your family or your spouse or your brothers or your sisters, all the times you turned your back on me and you decided to follow you, you put you at the center of your universe, all the times that you cheated, all the times that you lied, all those hateful thoughts. All those times you messed up with, with your body or with your life or you fell back into those addictions. All those times that you watched what you know you shouldn't have watched or you did what you know you shouldn't have done or you said what you know you shouldn't have said. All those times, all those, that life of crime, he says to the criminal. No problem. No problem. That doesn't even matter. You haven't done anything good in a long time. Doing good, it's not even what I'm, I'm looking for. No problem. That doesn't matter. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said, good people don't go to heaven. <laughs> good works aren't even, aren't even the issue when it comes to salvation. Sinners go to heaven. Can I get an Amen. Right? Sinners in need of a Savior go to heaven. Sometimes we make it so difficult to understand. 
So what do we do? What did the criminal do to be, to be good enough on that day? Two things he did, and then we're going to be done. The first thing, he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, you have a kingdom. In other words, you are a king. And Jesus, your kingdom is obviously not of this world, which means that you're not just a king, but you are the king. He recognizes who Jesus is. That's the first thing he does. He recognizes who Jesus is. And the second thing he, he talks about, he says, remember me. Which means he understood he could not do it himself. He understood that he needed a savior. So the first thing is, is he recognizes who Jesus was. The next thing he says is, remember me. I need you, Jesus. See, I want to be good enough. But I'm not the one who can do it. It's only the invite from Jesus that allows me to be, to be good enough. I think we need to take notes from the criminal on the cross. Not sit around and be like, well, God, next time I'll do better. Or I promise I'll never do this again in my life. Can you imagine if the criminal on the cross said that? Jesus, I promise I will never murder again. Like, I, you know, I, I can't, I, you know, of course you're not, man. You're done. <laughs> like, can you imagine? No. That's not what it's about. Good people don't go to heaven. People who recognize who Jesus is go to heaven. People who believe in the power of Jesus go to heaven. And people who recognize their need of a Savior go to heaven. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I believe you are a king and you have a kingdom that is not of this world. And Lord, we want to be a part of that kingdom. And Lord, please help us to trust what you did on the cross. Please help us to trust your invitation to be a part of that kingdom. Lord, help, uh, Lord, help us to open our hearts and our minds to allow you to come in and to change us. We pray this in Jesus' name.